I was uh, thinking <clears throat> earlier this week about individuals back through history that have, uh, whether through their words or their uh, actions, either one, kind of come to end up speaking for or, or representing an entire group of people. And so, so some examples that I was thinking about, some within the pages of the Bible, uh, you've got Moses, for example. Moses went before, uh, went before Pharaoh on behalf of the people, on behalf of the Jews to, to demand their release uh, from slavery. You have uh, thought of the picture of David uh, specifically um, confronting Goliath, stating that the battle was the Lord's and that Goliath would be given that very day into the hands of the Israelites. David went out on behalf of his people. Um, but even outside the Bible, there's, there's examples. Martin Luther, uh, for example, not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther back 500 years ago with, with the Reformation, he, he spoke for many who were concerned about uh, abuses by the Roman Catholic Church leadership. And so when he nailed those 95 theses to the door of, of Castle Church at Wittenberg, he was speaking not just for himself, but for others as well. Um, kind of more recent history for us, you think about a person like Rosa Parks, who spoke for oppressed black people throughout our country by, by refusing to give up her seat on the city bus. Or, or you think about in 1989 in China, Excuse me. There was there was that unidentified man, and, and he's known history only by the name Tank Man, who symbolically stood up to the communist government in China by literally standing in front of a tank in Tiananmen Square. He spoke for his people, and so there's situations like that. But but that type of representation doesn't always have to be for positive reasons. Uh, it, it can sometimes be for more negative or infamous reasons as well. And so you think about names like Jeffrey Dahmer or Ted Bundy, and, and they have come to represent mass murderers. Or, or you think about names like uh, George Custer or Napoleon Bonaparte, right? They've come to represent military leaders who were defeated. Um, I, one that I wasn't aware of and Honestly, I was kind of surprised I wasn't aware of this, but Ronald Wayne has, in a way, represents all the business failures throughout history because his was one of the biggest, and maybe history, American history at least. But, you know, when you think about the company, Apple, many, many people uh, think that Apple was started only by Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. But there was actually another guy, Ronald Wayne, who was part of starting Apple computers in 1976. And he, he owned 10% of Apple computer. Steve Jobs had 45%, Steve Wozniak had 45%, Ronald Wayne had 10%. And his role really was administrative tasks, documentation. He was also kind of the tiebreaker, was supposed to be the tiebreaker between Jobs and Wozniak. Well, as the story goes, Ronald Wayne was a little worried about his personal financial liability. He was a little older than Jobs, a little older than Wozniak, a little farther along in life, had some more money. So he was worried about, about you know, if, if Apple computers folds, what that would mean for him personally. And so after 12 days, 12 days after its creation, 
Ron, uh, Ronald Wayne sold his 10% stake to Jobs and Wozniak for $800. 10% of Apple computers, he sold it for $800. It's worth about, Apple is worth about two to three trillion dollars today. So you do the math. And even if you can't do the math, you know that's not a good deal, right? Man, ouch. <laughs> what, a, what a business failure, right? And as, you know, as, as painful as it can be to think about how Ronald Wayne kind of represents utter failure in the business world, uh, we're going to look at someone today that it's kind of painful to watch someone in today's text represent the utter failure of all mankind. And, and due to your curiosity about the name tag that you were hopefully given when you came in, uh, you can maybe guess who that individual might be. But uh, what we're gonna what we're gonna see today is is that Peter accurately represents all of mankind when he fails three times in the final hours before Jesus' crucifixion, and and uh, and I'm not talking about just denying Jesus three times. I'm talking about three different failures, his denials just being one of them, and so. The reason that we're all wearing a Peter name tag is, is because I hope that as we go through the text today, that rather than look down on Peter, we look upon him and we see ourselves in him. We, we, we see that he represents us in, in ways that we're probably not too excited about, but, but if we're honest, we'd have to see um, that there's representation there. So, now we're going to be talking a lot about talking a lot about Peter this morning, but I want to make sure that in doing so we don't remove our gaze from Jesus. We have to be sure not to do that. If anything, the failures of Peter along with our own failures that we see portrayed in Peter, it ought to cause Jesus to shine even brighter. That's the goal for this morning. So hopefully our love for Jesus will will only grow today as we look at Peter contrasted to Jesus, or as we look at ourselves contrasted to Jesus. So, so if you remember last week, uh, Pastor Tim preached on uh, the first part of Luke chapter 22. He covered the passage where uh, Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, observing the Passover meal. And then toward the end of that meal, Jesus spoke with Peter and, and foretold his upcoming uh, threefold denial. Um, and then after the meal was completed, Jesus and his disciples, they left the upper room of that Jerusalem house. They exited the city. They crossed through the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives. And that's where they went to a place called uh, Gethsemane. And so that's the location for where we pick up the story today. We'll can, uh, continue on in Luke chapter 22. And we're starting in verse 39, so I would encourage you to follow with me. Uh, Luke 22:39 says, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. 
And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise, pray that you may not enter into temptation. So during the Passover festival, Jerusalem was bursting at the seams with travelers. And so it was common for, for people to leave the city at night and go find lodging in the surrounding countryside, surrounding villages. And, and it seems that Jesus' custom was, retreat, was to retreat to Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives each evening during Passover. But even though he went there just like he had done every other night that week, um, th- this night was, was going to be different. It was the final evening before Jesus was going to be crucified. Um, in fact, we're probably 12 hours or less from Jesus being nailed to the cross as we pick up the story. So, so it's no surprise that, that on this evening that Jesus' soul was sorrowful and that it was troubled. Um, I think it's no surprise that in response to what he was feeling, Jesus withdrew by himself in order to spend time in prayer. That's right in line with what we've seen him do um, throughout the Gospels. He does it again here. But even though he knew what was in store for himself in the coming hours, his concern for his disciples didn't fade. I mean, he knew that they too would face challenges and temptation. And, And so because of that, he urged them to follow his example. By, by spending time in prayer. Now, now Luke himself doesn't give us this next detail, but um, you can go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 14, where we, we're given just a bit more information about what transpired in the garden. I'm going to read just a little bit to kind of fill in a detail here. So Luke chapter 14, uh, verse 32 says, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And then here's where we kind of fill in the, uh, the gap there. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So in this expanded account from Mark's gospel, we see that that Jesus' encouragement to pray about not falling into temptation, that applied to all the disciples. It was spoken to all the disciples, but it was spoken directly to Peter. And, and even though all of his disciples, it seems, failed him during this time of prayer in the garden, Peter's the one singled out. Peter is the one that Jesus went up to. And so I think we can look kind of side by side at how Peter and Jesus handled such an intense situation. So, so we see Jesus. Jesus spoke with his father. 
Jesus was kneeling on the ground in prayer. Jesus poured out his soul to his Father. Jesus yielded himself to his Father in prayer. Jesus prayed more earnestly as his agony increased. Uh, Jesus' sweat became like great drops of blood. What, what an image. And, and that all resulted in Jesus being able to withstand the upcoming temptations that he would face. And then there's Peter. Peter failed to have a conversation with his father. Uh, Peter wasn't kneeling. Peter lied down on the ground. Peter yielded not to his father, but he yielded to his bodily urges for sleep. Uh, Peter didn't pray more as the night went on. Peter went back to sleep again and again as the night went on. And that all resulted in Peter giving in to the upcoming temptations that he would face. And so you look at those side by side, man, that's humbling. I think In a situation in life which called for perseverance in prayer, Peter utterly failed. He utterly failed while Jesus completely succeeded. I mean, what a stark contrast we see in the two of them. But again, in case we're, we're tempted to look down on Peter, um, let's look down at our name tags instead. Right? And remember that we too find ourselves in Peter. We find ourselves responding like Peter in our lives. He, he represents all of fallen humanity. And how many times have we gone into a situation determined to come before God in prayer and, and maintain that practice for as long as was necessary? And how many times have we found ourselves not persevering? How many times have we given up on praying when the situation became tougher rather than easier? How many times have we given in to our physical urges rather than uh, kneeling before God in prayer, praying that he would guide us through temptation? Um, we're Peter, aren't we? Um, and, and I, you know, I... I brought, a, I brought a second name tag up here for me this morning. Uh, I'm going to put it on because I, I want to make sure that I, I clearly and publicly identify with Peter as well. I'm not wearing a name tag as an example for everyone else this morning. I, I'm wearing a name tag too now be, because I, I'm just as much Peter as anybody else. I just want to make sure we're all clear on that. Uh, man, I, I see in Peter way more of myself than, than I would want to admit, and I wish it wasn't true, but, um, but it is. Uh, Peter represents all of humanity, but, but he represents me as well, and, and I, my, my hunch is we'd all admit to that. We'd, we can look on Peter and say, I've been there. I've, I've responded that same way. But in the midst of our failures in this area, again, we can't focus on Peter too much we got to look at Jesus. I mean, what a wonderful Savior who completely succeeded. He perfectly persevered in prayer when Peter could not, when I do not. Uh, where we fall short, Jesus is capable. I think we see that here. And so I'm so glad. Uh, I think about Romans chapter 8. Uh, you know, we're told that Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for me. 
that's a very good thing because I fall short in that. But Jesus, as he has shown, does not. And so what a wonderful blessing that Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for you and I. And, and he's, he does persevere in that. I don't persevere in prayer, but Jesus does on my behalf. Such a great blessing to see this morning in this. But that's just one time. Uh, there's more. There, there's, even, there's more of a contrast between Peter and Jesus. So let's continue on and, and see how it keeps unfolding. Uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 47. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and a man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. So this is kind of the point in the movie, right, where the ominous music starts to play and Judas appears on the set leading a, a band of people who are against Jesus. Um, and how, how devastating it must have been for Jesus to be outwardly greeted by Judas with a friendly kiss, but, but betrayed by the very same action. So difficult that must have been. Um, Judas hadn't just decided to set him up, himself up in opposition against Jesus. He carried it through. He carried through with the act. And, and you know, we talked earlier about uh, uh, infamous people who came to represent entire groups. With a single kiss, Judas... He, he became the name synonymous with traitors, right? Single act. So we, we have this garden setting, which previously had been a peaceful place filled with friends of Jesus. It soon became a place filled with enemies. Chief priests, the officers who came with Judas, they wanted nothing but to see G, uh, Jesus killed. That was their goal. That was their intent. And it's in that moment that we see Peter once again fail while Jesus succeeds. And again, we're going to turn to another gospel writer just to fill in one other detail. So this will be from John's gospel. John chapter 18, if you'd like to follow. And I will, let's see, I'll start reading in verse 3. So John 18, 3. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus told them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have, not, 
I have lost not one. And again, here's the detail we want to focus on. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So again, we look at the response of Peter compared to that of Jesus. In the face of enemies who sought to harm Jesus and, and quite possibly his followers as well, Peter responded by taking a sword and slicing off the ear of a person. His hatred for his enemies showed itself through his desire to harm them. Jesus, however, responded by taking the ear, which Peter had sliced off, and reattaching it to the wounded person, healing his ear. His love for his enemies showed itself through his desire to restore them and heal them. So in a, in a situation that called for loving one's enemies, I think Jesus talked about that before. I'm sure Peter had heard that before. Peter utterly failed. While once again, Jesus completely succeeded. And once again, right, instead of looking down on Peter, we ought to look down at our name tags, see ourselves in Peter. Now, perhaps we're not grabbing an actual sword to strike people down, strike down our enemies, but, but we can attack with things that harm, can't we? There's, uh, Proverbs 12:18 says, uh, there's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. I think that can be quite convicting. Man, aren't, aren't there times where strike people down with my words? Aren't there times where I withhold good from someone I view as an enemy? Aren't there times I have little to no mercy for someone who opposes me? And again, I, you know, once again, I see more of myself in Peter than, than I would like to admit. You know, the, the words Jesus spoke about loving your enemy, blessing those who curse you, being merciful to the ungrateful and the wicked. Jesus put them into practice when he healed the ear that Peter had cut off. So where Peter falls short, where I fall short, where we all fall short in that, Jesus again shows himself quite capable. He shows himself to have succeeded completely. So you're picking up on the theme, right? But as I said, Peter failed three times. We've looked at two so far. And the last one is uh, its probably no secret what the third failure is. I mean, we've probably heard the story before. Jesus foretold it already anyway. But uh, look with me in Luke chapter 22 at verse 54. We get the third failure. So then they seized him. They seized Jesus and led him away bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. 
And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. We're going to stop right there and examine just Peter's situation before we move on to Jesus. I wonder how Peter was feeling at this point in the evening. Uh, I mean, he'd already fallen asleep three times when Jesus told him to stay awake and pray. Um, he, he's already cut off a guy's ear only to be reprimanded by Jesus. Um, it's been quite a night for Peter. And yet it's not, it's not over yet. There, there was more to come. So while Jesus was in the house of the high priest being examined and questioned, Peter's outside in the courtyard. He's with others gathered around a fire. And, and it seems that, that, that due uh, to both his physical appearance and his accent, people began to recognize that he was a Galilean who was probably with Jesus. And so it's only natural that they would question Peter about that. First, the servant girl, and then uh, two other men asked him about his identity. Now, I can't help but wonder in this situation, what is Peter afraid of? Uh, I mean, why, why would Peter shy away from identifying with Jesus? I mean, earlier he had his sword out ready to go, and not just ready to go, but went, I mean, cut off a guy's ear. I mean, I mean what about this setting? What about these people scared him. Uh, if he was fearful, was his fear justified? Was his fear just in his imagination? Um, or was Peter just ashamed, maybe? When he thinks about his previous actions already that evening, uh, maybe he just thought it was better not to associate himself with Jesus, since he's already let him down twice. I mean, I, we're not told Peter's motives. We're not told what his fears might have been. We're, we're just simply told his response. Three times Peter was asked if he knew Jesus, and three times Peter's faith failed him, and he denied it. Um, and for the third time today, uh, we have to look at Peter, and I think we see ourselves in him, don't we? It's not just Peter's faith that, that can fall short, that, that ours does too. And, and maybe, it's, maybe it's in a similar situation like Peter. Someone asks us about our identity as a follower of Jesus, and we either, either deny it or, or, or downplay it. Um, maybe, maybe Jesus directs us to do something in obedience to him. Ivan was talking about that earlier. You know, we feel that nudging and that prompting, and, and, and uh, maybe our faith in him falls short, and we don't follow through with that. We don't, we don't trust him as we ought to. Um, perhaps we, we want want to rest. We want to find comfort and peace in him, but, but we keep turning back to that activity or that person or that substance that, that doesn't satisfy, doesn't lead to those things. I, I think yet one more time, we, we see more of ourselves in Peter than we would like to admit. And then there's the response of Jesus. So where Peter failed in his faithfulness, Jesus succeeded. And, and where Peter denied his identity, 
Jesus confirmed his. Look at Luke 22, verse 63. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When, the day, came, when day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe, and if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. So in the midst of not just threats, but actual physical harm, they had already started beating him and abusing him. In the midst of that, Jesus stood firm upon his truth. He, he did not deny his identity. He was faithful to God's purposes for him. Not just knowing the pain and suffering that lie ahead, but, but already beginning to experience it. He did not hide his identity in the midst of that. And again, where we see that Peter failed, Jesus succeeded. Every place that Peter failed, Jesus succeeded. Every place that mankind fails, Jesus succeeds. And every place that you and I have failed, Jesus succeeds. And so because Jesus has succeeded in that, he's able to take our place on the cross. He drinks the cup of God's wrath that, that he so dreaded in the garden so that we might be restored to God rather than face judgment. He succeeds there where we fall short. There were, there were, there were, a, lot of, there were a lot of things taking place on Good Friday. But... But one of the things happening was Jesus succeeding where no one else could or would. I mean, praise God that, that we have that Jesus as our Savior and King. I, I want to end today by, by going back to, to Peter's denials specifically. Uh, I mean, for Peter, it's probably a night he wanted to forget and if I make any kind of understatement this morning, that might be it. I mean, what a night Peter had. A night that maybe left him filled with shame and regret. We know he went out and wept bitterly. Um, but it's, it's, it's in the moment of the third denial that, that Luke gives us a detail that, that none of the other gospel writers do. Not only did the rooster crow, but Jesus himself turned and looked right at Peter. I mean, was Jesus by a window in the building? Was he being led through the courtyard on his way, um, on the way to the next stop for, for his trial? Whatever it was, when Peter denied knowing Jesus for the third time, and for the third time that evening failed, Jesus turned and looked right at him. What must that gaze have been like? I mean, can you imagine? Because Peter represents all of mankind, but Peter represents Peter. I mean, he failed three times. And so what was that gaze like when Jesus looked at him? I, 
I can't say for certain, we don't know for certain, but I don't think it was a gaze filled with judgment and condemnation. I just don't think it was. I, I think it would have been a gaze filled with compassion and mercy, filled with love. I, I think it was a gaze that recognized the situation, that recognized the failure that had took place, but a gaze that also looked ahead to restoration. I think that's what that gaze would have been. And again, like Peter, we've had moments, we've had seasons in our lives that we'd like to forget. And and perhaps we look back on some of those situations with, with shame and regret. I think in those, in those moments of failure, Jesus turns and he looks at us too. I think we can see ourselves right where Peter was. And, and maybe, maybe close your eyes this morning and just kind of put yourself in Peter's sandals, right? Jesus' gaze falling on you in that moment of failure. Um, what do you see? What do you see when Jesus looks at you? If, if, if what you see is first and foremost judgment and condemnation in his eyes, I would encourage you to look deeper. I would encourage you to look deeper into his eyes. What, what, if, what if his gaze was one of compassion and mercy and love? What if while we are still sinners, Jesus looked on us with mercy and love and died on the cross for us? You know, in the hours leading up to his death, those failures by Peter had to have been fresh on his mind. Again, we're just hours before his crucifixion. Jesus went to the cross fully aware of Peter's shortcomings. And again, because Peter represents all of humanity, I think, uh, Jesus went to the cross fully aware of humanity's shortcomings and Again, that includes you and I. And, and I think that's what Paul references in, in Romans 5 when he says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, he didn't, he didn't strike Peter down in response to his failures. He went to the cross in response to Peter's failures. Um, he went to the cross to cover over those failures too to be able to bring about restoration. Uh, And again, he went to the cross to cover yours and my failures as well. And it's because of that, that restoration and forgiveness can be found. And so I want to, again, jump to one of the other gospel writers and read the story that proclaims that restoration and forgiveness. And again, it's another story about Peter but let's continue to see ourselves in Peter. So this is John chapter 21, uh, starting in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved 
because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. (laughs) When you think about what Peter had gone through just days before this, this event, man, how powerful is that? Uh, after Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, Peter was met with restoration and forgiveness. Uh, man, he had failed miserably in, in the hour of Jesus' greatest need. But now, Jesus opens his arms to Peter and he welcomes him back. Welcomes him back to himself. I mean, uh, such a powerful story of restoration. And, and, and again, you know, perhaps, not perhaps, we, we have times in our lives where we've, we've failed. We've failed Jesus. But if we'll look to him, we'll see him with open arms, welcoming us back to, our, to himself. I mean, we sang about it this morning. I run into your arms, right? And it's his mercy that greets us when we, when we run into those open arms. And again, it's because of his work on the cross, those failures are forgiven and, and, and we are restored. So we think about it, if, if, if salvation and redemption and forgiveness and victory, if that hung on the shoulders of Peter, then... As we saw this morning, we'd all be doomed. There's no question. And if salvation and redemption and forgiveness and victory hung on any of our shoulders, we'd all be doomed, wouldn't we? But those things don't hang on our shoulders. How great is that? They don't hang on our shoulders. They hang on the shoulders of the one who hung on the cross. And he succeeded where where we have failed. And in his victory then, he calls us back. He calls us back to himself, and he restores us. And so, so just like Peter found restoration in Jesus, uh, that's my prayer, that we all would as well, that we would find that restoration. And not just as a one-time event, but, but continual restoration all throughout our lives, that we'll recognize that Jesus' gaze is calling us back to himself that his arms are open, and that he will forgive and restore us. So, so yes, we've failed. The name tags, I think, speak to that. We've failed like Peter. But Jesus has succeeded, and that's where our hope rests, and that's where, that's where we find any kind of hope. We run back to his open arms, and we, we find restoration, we find forgiveness, we find victory, all the things that we have failed to achieve, he gives to us. There's rest in that. I mean, you can almost can exhale, right? And say, oh man, so glad Jesus succeeded because I know I don't. So let's, let's stand this morning and give praise to God for that. That we can come to him as sinful as we are and be welcomed by him and restored by him. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you this morning that, uh, that you've succeeded. Um, uh, we can identify with Peter much more than I think we would like to. Uh, 
But we thank you that you came to this earth, you, you carried out the purposes set before you, that you still went to the cross knowing full well who you hung there for, a whole bunch of failures. But God, I thank you that in you we can find restoration, we can find forgiveness, we can find victory. We're so blessed because of that, and we have hope because of that. God, I pray that, that we wouldn't forget that when, uh, when Satan piles shame on us. May we respond right back that, that your arms are open to us and that you, you remind us of your love for us. So we give you praise this morning, Jesus. We thank you that you are the perfect Lamb of God, that you are the perfect human that succeeded where, where all else have failed. We worship you because of it. We give ourselves to you because of it. God, and we love you because of that. We pray these things in your name. Amen.